Aufsehen erlitt, schaffte das Sand die Humilitate continued. Let him consider that he is always beheld from heaven by God, and that his actions are everywhere seen by the eye of the Divine Majesty, and are at every hour reported to him by his angels. This the prophet telleth us, when he showeth how God is ever present in our thoughts, saying, God searcheth the heart and the reins. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of men. And he also saith, Thou hast understood my thoughts afar off. And the thought of man shall confess to thee. In order, therefore, that he may be on his guard against evil thoughts, let the humble brother say ever in his heart, Then shall I be unspotted before him, if I shall have kept me from mine iniquity. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. this first section of the first degree of humility without referring to Psalm 138, which psalm we pray every Thursday at Vespers, and also at Second Vespers on the Feasts of Apostles. St. Benedict quotes but one verse of the psalm, but this psalm in its entirety, pervades all that he says here. In fact, in this one paragraph of the first degree of humility, St. Benedict gives us no less than five quotations from sacred scripture. It's, it's woven from sacred scripture. But Psalm 138 is the pervading influence on this part of the first degree of humility. And I'm very fond of Monsignor Knox's translation of the psalm because he renders this familiar psalm with a compelling freshness of expression. So listen to what Monsignor Knox gives. Lord, I lie open to thy scrutiny Thou knowest me, knowest when I sit down and when I rise up again, canst read my thoughts from far away. Walk I or sleep I, thou canst tell. No movement of mine, but thou art watching it. Before ever the words are framed on my lips, all my thought is known to thee. Rear guard and vanguard, Thou dost compass me about, thy hand still laid upon me. Such wisdom as thine is far beyond my reach. No thought of mine can attain it. Where can I go then to take refuge from 
thy spirit to hide from thy view? Of course, this was the question already asked by Adam and Eve after the fall. Adam and Eve asked after the fall, where can we go then to take refuge from his spirit, to hide from his view? Song goes on. If I should climb up to heaven, thou art there. If I sink down into the world beneath, thou art present still. If I could wing my way eastwards, or find a dwelling beyond the western sea, still would I find thee beckoning to me, thy right hand upholding me. Or perhaps I would think to bury myself in darkness. Night troops around me, friendlier than day. But no, darkness is no hiding place from thee. With thee, the night shines, clear as day itself. Light and dark are one. Author thou of my inmost being, didst thou not form me in my mother's womb? I praise thee for my wondrous fashioning. For all the wonders of thy creation. Of my soul thou hast full knowledge, and this mortal frame had no mysteries for thee, who didst contrive it in secret, devise its pattern there in the dark recesses of the earth. All my acts thy eyes have seen, all are set down already in thy record. My days were numbered before ever they came to be. It's quite a evocative translation of psalm as all of Monsignor Knox's renderings of the psalms are. The man who with St. Benedict is convinced, as is the psalmist, that God beholds him from heaven at every moment, will not only avoid sin, he will also begin to follow the injunction of the Apostle. It's not enough merely to avoid sin. The other uh, side, if you will, uh, of, of the paradigm is to live with one's heart lifted heavenward. It's not enough simply to avoid sin. The susum corda is the other side of the paradigm. St. Paul says, Risen then with Christ, you must lift your thoughts above. Where Christ now sits at the right hand of God, you must be heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded. You have undergone death, baptism, and for the monk, profession. And your life is hidden away now with Christ and God. Christ is your life. And when he is made manifest, you too will be made manifest in glory with him. St. Paul's reasoning here is very closely put together. One has to really read the text with attention to every word to get what St. Paul is saying here. Your life is hidden away now 
now with Christ and God. Christ is your life. St. Paul is saying that Christ is hidden. And because we are in Christ, we are hid with Christ and God. And this is the hiddenness of the risen and ascended Christ and the hiddenness of Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. So there is the uh, hiddenness of the risen and ascended Christ who has entered in beyond the veil in the heavenly sanctuary and Christ who is hidden beneath the appearances of the sacred species. And so St. Paul, of course, is, is alluding here to the risen and ascended Christ, but as St. Ambrose says, how do we know the risen and ascended Christ? He says, I know thee in thy sacraments. So the hiddenness of the risen and ascended Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, uh, the same hiddenness uh, is given us in, in the sacramental economy. Because in all of the sacraments, Christ's action is concealed uh, by the form and uh, matter of the sacrament, and at the same time manifested by the form and matter of the sacrament. And in the Most Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, not only is the action of Christ concealed <coughs> Uh, but Christ, uh, the principle, the very source of grace, is at once concealed and revealed. And St. Paul is saying that because we are in Christ, we are in with him in God. Therefore, he concludes, when he is made manifest, you too will be made manifest in glory with him. When the head is made manifest, so too will the members of the body be made manifest. St. Benedict would have each man hear the Lord address him as he addressed the prophet Jeremiah, saying, I am the Lord who search the heart and prove the reins, who give to everyone according to his way and according to the fruit of his devices. St. Benedict quotes Jeremiah 17.10. Know this, God sees into your heart and mind. He reads your inmost thoughts and mind. God is more present to us than we are to ourselves. St. Augustine says it. Thou wert more inward to me than my most inward part. In some way, this truth greatly simplifies our prayer. When we go to God in prayer, this is a very important point, when we go to God in prayer, there is no need for much talking, no need for lengthy explanations, manifestations of conscience, detailed confessions, tortuous self-scrutinies, if one does these things, and I'm not at all advising that one should, one does them for oneself 
effort to come to better knowledge of oneself and not for God's sake. Because God is already there, beholding all. God sees us far better and more deeply than we see ourselves. He knows our entire personal histories perfectly and comprehensively in a single, simple gaze. There is great comfort in holding to this truth. And we come here to um, one of the things that uh, distinguishes the modern schools of piety or spirituality from the ancient monastic tradition. The ancient monastic tradition is fundamentally objective, looking first to God. The modern schools are more subjective, looking first to the uh, human agent, uh, to what, what am I thinking, what am I doing, what am I feeling, uh, and this uh, preoccupation with Self. And of course, the modern schools would say that it's through this that one comes into a uh, real uh, conversation with God. Uh, whereas the, the ancient uh, monastic way is to look first at God, knowing, believing beyond all doubt, that God uh, sees. All perfectly and comprehensively in a single, simple gaze, so that there is no need for this endless scrutiny of self. A man can exhaust himself in trying to explain to himself and others the reasons for his peculiarities, his neurosis, his immaturity his obsessions, and even his sins. Men pay vast sums of money to therapists in an effort to understand themselves. Self-knowledge is necessary and useful, but too much probing of oneself, too much turning over of one's past, can lead a man into a kind of psychological quicksand. You know what happens when you fall into a pit of quicksand. Self-knowledge is but the first step. The best therapists will admit this. After self-knowledge must come self-acceptance. This is my history. This is my heredity. These are my deficits, my weaknesses, my gifts. And the third step is the handing over to God of the whole complex, messy reality, trusting in Him to salvage all that is worth salvaging, to dispose of all that is toxic, and to heal and perfect those things that are infirm and incomplete. Now, 
There is another way, a simpler way, and it consists in this. A simple, adoring act of presence to the presence of God. In this, all that needs to be said to God is said implicitly. Do you know the modern schools of piety have very complicated ways of going about prayer? Um, you have to think about this, you have to make a mental picture of this, you have to imagine this, oh, it's enough to give a man a headache. And to become completely discouraged and to give up altogether. For some people, it works. But there's a much simpler way. In this simpler way, the soul is exposed to God, opened to his divine action, and disinfected, that is, purified, by the radiance of the divine countenance. Mother MacTill writes of this to a religious of the monastery of Toul in 1678. And this is what Mother MacTill says. This is a marvelous page. Blessed the soul that attends faithfully to her God by this secret and admirable way of silence. Mother MacTill is contrasting this way with uh, the notion that one has to go to God with a speech prepared. There are people who have this idea that when they go to God, they have to have a little speech ready to read off. No. When you go to God, you don't go like you're, you're going into a business meeting with an order of business with an agenda. It's frightful to people who think they have to go to God with a little, little uh, agenda prepared. You know, these are, these are the, the, the points of business. No. Uh, Mother Mechtil speaks of this secret and admirable way of silence. Never depart from it, lest you become unfaithful. If in this silence one should say to you, What are you doing? You yourself do not know what you are doing. Your support is naked faith. Be content that God knows it, and that he knows it through and through. Here, uh, Mother Matilda is referring to Psalm 138. God knows it, and he knows it through and through. And she's also answering um, those critics of this simple way of prayer, who in the 17th century would have said, no, you have to have a method. If you don't have a method for prayer, you're going to go astray. You're going to be wasting your time. You're going to fall into delusion. Mother Matilda says, no. You yourself do not know what you are doing. Your support is naked faith. Be content that God knows it, and that he knows it through and through. Then she says, do not take fright at any temptation, no matter what it may be. You have not yet come to the end. There are souls who, praying in this way, suffer terrifying temptations. Uh, one would think here of St. Anthony. It is necessary that God alone, in pure faith, be enough for you. Learn 
without all the rest. Learn to do without all the rest. If one should say to you that you do not know what you adore, be assured on this point that you cannot miss the mark, because you are adoring in spirit and in truth he who is, and that you adore him all the more truly, in that you gaze upon him by means of a simple faith, as he is in himself, without image and without distinction. Mother Matilde here is very close to the uh, apophatic uh, approach of certain of the fathers. The apophatic approach, which in the West, of course, uh, is um, set out in uh, the famous English classic, The Cloud of Unknowing. Close your ears to all the interrogations that will be made concerning your way. Be content in knowing that it is your path. Do not quit it, and do not trouble yourself over its obscurity, nor over the obstacles that you meet. Abide in a loving confidence in God. Many souls arrive at a certain degree of prayer, they do not get beyond it. St. Teresa says that she does not know the cause of this, and someone else says that the fault comes from our having too much self-love and holding back. We do not enough abandon ourselves blindly under the best pretexts in the world. Uh, Father Gary Lagrange discusses this same problem. Um, is a wonderful chapter on retarded souls. Retarded in the sense of souls that are somehow held back. They get to a certain point and can't go beyond it. And Father Garibaldi explains why certain souls are retarded, held back. They only go so far and then they, they, they seem to be uh, paralyzed uh, and cannot, cannot move uh, beyond certain point. And Mother uh, Matilde says, we do not enough abandon ourselves blindly. We want to see before going forward. And this under the best pretext in the world. We can think of a hundred excuses for not abandoning ourselves. Mother Matilde continues, if I followed my thoughts, I would write much on this subject. And I don't know why our Lord has given me so many little lights on this subject, given the abyss of my infidelities, and how far I am from the purity of this way. It is true that there is a great distance from the union of love with God and the holiness that one must have to enter heaven. God moves souls along during life, and he brings them to consummation at death. It is the work of his divine hand. I find this one sentence astonishing. God moves souls along during life, and he brings them to consummation at death. It is the work of his divine hand. So you see that it's 
this abandonment to the divine action, to the secret operations of grace that constitutes um, the, the ground of, of um, one's growth in holiness. As for your sins, do not trouble yourself looking for them. Is that not a wonderful sound bit of advice? As for your sins, do not trouble yourself looking for them. If God wants an extraordinary confession of you, he will give you the grace and light to make it. Do not worry about it. That's the last sentence of her letter to this poor mother of the monastery of Toul, who was so preoccupied with herself. She says, um, do not worry about it.